1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today.
2: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone
0: 15s? It's better over
2: here
3: Yes, indeed. Speaking of help, you've got a lot of help this morning in the form of Julie Weisenhorn and John Trappi from the University of Minnesota. I mean, we really <laughs> are going to talk lawns and gardens. And if you have any kind of a turf question, right, Julie, uh, you want to get, oh, yeah. uh, get in touch with uh, John Trappi, who's the tar- turf, turf expert from, uh, from the U of M. Good morning to you both.
4: Hey, good morning. Good ben. morning.
3: Yeah, I know you both of you were kind of, well, chuckling maybe isn't the right word at that that forecast, maybe in disbelief. uh, It's been such a crazy season, and I know, uh, Julie, and people are going to ask John about uh, dormant seeding. Is this stuff, are these seeds going to start germinating here the first part of March?
4: Yeah, I, I, you know, we're probably still a little ways away from getting warm enough soil temperatures where grass seed's going to germinate, but So it's still a great time to to dormant seed. At this point, it's basically just a frost seeding, but uh, the same same principle, uh, just getting the seed down now and just counting on whatever uh, freezes we get to kind of work that seed down into the soil.
3: But as you and Julie always say, make sure it's got some good soil contact, right?
4: That's exactly right.
3: All right, let me give you the phone number. It's also the text number, and I know uh, we're going to be maybe even busier than uh, than uh, usual uh, this morning. Any kind of a lawn or garden question, let's hear from you either by phone or by text, 651 uh, 461 I keep being concerned as I you know, look at the forecast every day uh, that that this spring and summer, I mean, let's hope we get some moisture because uh, what are we in store for if we don't have some good moisture, guys?
5: Yeah, it is one of the driest uh, times. I mean, it's just we haven't had any snow cover. The last time we had a really significant moisture was back in December. We had actually rain, which is weird for Minnesota in December. But uh, Mark Seely writes a great blog every Friday. And I know a lot of people listen to him on NPR. But um, he is uh, the expert in... Uh, you know, climatology and and writes about December. The last significant uh, moisture was December, and we really have been fairly snow-free, at least around the central and southern Minnesota, since then. So uh, not a lot of moisture. We're going to need to be thinking about watering when uh, things warm up.
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Texter said they're coming in uh, as we speak here this morning. The uh, first text says, is it too early to remove chicken wire and leaf mulch from around my apple trees before critters wake up and decide to live there?
5: Well, right now there are still, um, still beneficial insects living in some of that leaf mulch. So uh, some of the queen bees will overwinter in that. And so it's really, you can really kind of hold off on that still. You're not going to hurt the tree at all. And, uh, and you still may get some feeding and browsing from some of the smaller animals. So I think I, I would just leave it alone at this point and wait until it, we have some consistently warm temperatures. We've got a lot of swinging of temperatures right now. I feel like I'm on a dance floor or something. But, um, but that's, I think, uh, I think it just wait on that. Just hold back.
3: Yeah, for those that, that that have not heard the forecast, we're looking at maybe near 65 <laughs> today, maybe near 72 tomorrow. And then uh, the daytime highs generally will go, well, will be in high 40s. Uh, in fact, uh, the high by Friday will be 43, with the overnight lows around uh, 33 or so. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, let me see. We're getting, we're getting more texts and more phone calls. Let's do this. Let's grab a phone call or two right now. Kevin is first up here calling, I believe, from uh, Wasika this morning. Uh, Kevin, good morning. What is yeah. your question? Oh, very good morning to you, sir. Um, the question is uh, transplanting uh, plants, particularly uh, hostas. If the frost is out of the ground, is it too early to transplant, do you feel,
5: well, hostas are pretty tough plants, and ideally we would wait until temperatures are more consistent. But you know, if you can, if you can dig, if you got a lot of hostas to transplant and you can dig them out of the soil, uh, you can go ahead and do that. I think uh, I don't believe I'm saying that on March 2nd, but uh, a lot of people <laughs> the frost is out on some of their out of some of their soil, so I, I think you could do that if you can wait. I you know just to make it a more pleasant job because it's going to be pretty cold doing that in the 40s. But if you have to move them, say you're doing a construction job or something and you need to move them or lose them, then I would, I would definitely go with the moving them at this point. Not ideal, but you could do it, I think.
3: Uh, John, a listener wants to know, and here we are March 2nd, uh, when do you think I could do some lawn aeration?
4: I would avoid aerating uh, right now uh, specifically because uh, typically we try to do that in the fall um, because right now if you were to go out and aerate, you're, you're creating a lot of vacancy for and a lot of openings for crabgrass and other summer annual grassy weeds to be able to move in. Uh, it's not, you know, if, if you really desperately need the aerification, for example, you know, you, you see signs of soil compaction like ponding of water after a rainfall event, if if we ever remember what that's like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you you know, if, if you see ponding of water, that's typically a good indication that aeration or aerification would benefit. But uh, right now, I would just try to be a little bit patient until we get more into the growing season, uh, or the best time of the year is to aerate or aerif- or I would just try to be a little bit patient until we get more into the growing season, uh, or the best time of the year is to aerate or, aerifi- or uh, aerify in the fall. In
5: the hey, fall. I got, yeah. I got a question. What's the difference between air, aeration and aerification?
4: Zero. Uh, it's really. <laughs> I, I'm just. I'm just using both in case someone uh, it gets confused uh, because you know it's a, a problem with the turf industry is people are kind of inconsistent with what they. The, the oh, I love
5: working with you, John. <laughs> All right.
3: let's, uh, let's go back to the phones. I think Sue's uh, out there uh, calling in from Rosemont this morning. Sue, thank you. What is your question?
5: Yeah, good morning. Um, I'd like to find out about cutting oak trees. We'd like to cut our oak sure. tree. Yeah, um, and I know it's been really warm. And it, do we have to shellac the end if we do do it? Okay, the, we have a great site called My Minnesota Woods, which I'm looking up right now, and they have a an oak wilt risk. That is why uh, you're asking that question, and it's the oak wilt status. And right now, it's currently safe. So yes, you can prune your oak trees right now. And uh, again, if you want to just check in with that or anybody else is considering that, it's at My Minnesota Woods on the extension site.
3: Okay. Very good. We uh, need to take a quick break here. Uh, if you're just joining us uh, this morning on our Smart Garden Show, uh, helping you out this morning, Julie Weisenhorn and John Trappi, we're talking uh, lawns and gardens. Uh, of course, uh, John, if you're familiar with the show, is a turf uh, expert from the U of M. Uh, any kind of a lawn or garden question, we'd love to hear from you. 651 461 Back with more on Talk 830. This is WCCO. Good Saturday morning to you. It's 8.20 in the morning, central time, from the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul in the midst of our Smart Garden show. Denny Long here, along with Julie Wisenhorn and John Traffy from the U of M Lawn and Garden Questions. And we have many already, and uh, phone Mm -hmm. calls and texts for that matter. In fact, uh, let's grab another phone call. Angela has been waiting there in Minneapolis. Thank you, Angela. What is your question, please?
5: Hi, good morning. Last uh, spring and summer, I received a gift of a pot with bulbs in it, hyacinth bulbs, and I can't remember what else. But in the fall, I put them in a box in some sawdust in the basement, and notice they've got little green tips on them, and I don't have a plan for what to do next. Can you help? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, Just get a a pot that will hold all of them and put some nice potting soil in it. You can just use regular all-purpose potting soil. Pot them up and... uh, And then uh, just leave the tips, the green tips, showing a little bit, and they will actually grow, and hopefully they'll bloom for you. Sometimes we get these, you know, you get these uh, bulb gardens, and they have been forced, the bulbs have been forced, so they've used a whole ton of the energy that's in the bulb to bloom in that bulb garden. So it may take a, a year or two before those plants can actually get enough do enough photosynthesis and get more energy back into the bulb to bloom. But you can always uh, give it a try.
3: Okay. Dexter wants to know, when do we pull the old canes out of raspberry plants?
5: You can pull them out anytime. If you can't easily pull them out, you can cut them down to the base. So these are the canes that produced fruit last year, and the canes that you saw just with uh, foliage on them the past summer; those are going to be your fruiting canes this year. They're usually very long and arching, and uh, so just kind of leave those alone. But you can uh, certainly remove and clean up your raspberry patch.
3: I know we were just talking about trimming oak trees uh, with this weather. This texture says, how much longer can we cut and trim trees? Do you think, generally
5: speaking? Well, in <clears throat> in most cases, you can do this into March and even into early April. And uh, it depends on the plant. So the oak trees, I'm glad they brought that up again because we want to stop pruning oak trees by the end of March. And uh, because the oak wilt risk season, that's very high. In other words, it's a high risk for oak wilt, starts April 1st in Minnesota and goes through about mid-July. Then we go into a lower risk season up until November. And then November through uh, the end of March is the safest time to prune your oaks.
3: Okay. John, this uh, texter who can't water my lawn says, "Should weed and feed be delayed until we get rain?" Mm, good
4: question. Uh, yeah, normally we would uh, try to avoid using the weed and feed products, but if, if you already have it purchased, or uh, you know you're trying to use up a little bit of that of that product uh, remaining. Uh, yeah, generally because there's urea, there's a quick release nitrogen source in there. We'd want to wait until we get some kind of precipitation that's imminent, or you know that you know you're expected to get. So uh, just try to try to time it a little bit with uh, with that um, uh, with that precipitation forecast, and I you know we generally want to make sure that the soil temperatures are not frozen. Uh, because we want the plants to be able to take that up. So we're a little early yet on a weed and feed type product. Any, any type of fertilizer, we're a little bit early because, uh, you know, soil temperatures are just not, not quite up to where the plants and the soil organisms could actually use those nutrients.
5: So, John, you started that answer with, we try to avoid using weed and feed products. So why is that the case?
4: Yeah, generally, you know, weed and feed products. You know, even though they're very popular, you can find them in pretty much every yard and garden uh, store. Uh, you know, they're just uh, they're, you know, uh, they're not very good at, at trying to con- at controlling weeds for most people's applications. Uh, they're uh, generally it gets a free ride. The the herbicide within the product itself gets a free ride because you're spreading fertilizer. It should be good, uh, but the. Uh, The strategy, the best strategy for trying to control weeds is using some kind of spot treatment and deliberately targeting certain weeds as opposed to broadcasting a herbicide across your whole lawn and controlling some of them, but not necessarily all of them.
3: Very good. Awesome. Thank you. Let's grab another phone call. Pat calling in this morning from Carver. Pat, good morning. What is your question, please? Hey, good morning. I had an opportunity to go out to the arboretum with one of your Mm -hmm. master gardeners. Right. And I saw the flower show on Thursday night. It was fabulous. But I have a, I have a
4: question. You just had um, a, ra- a raspberry question. You know, we have a lot of the wild black
3: raspberries. We just call them black caps growing around the perimeter of our yard. Can those be cut down at the base? Um, you know, they seem to do well in the wild, but would they do maybe better cutting them back?
5: Um you know i'm not sure if those have uh, what are called primal canes and flora canes, uh, meaning they have the canes that produce the fruit and then they have the canes that that uh, will be the productive fruits the next year so um hmm, I think you could definitely clean up anything that's dead that would be a good idea, and uh just cutting those back and uh you know, just tidying up that area. If you have a patch of them, uh, you may want to give yourself more access by removing or, or moving some of the plants. So that, you know, kind of create an, an, an alley between the plants so you can get to them all. I know that they oftentimes grow in big masses. But I think, uh, I, think you could, I think you could just clean out what's dead in there. I think that might be helpful. And also make sure that they're in full sun.
3: Texture says this, how do i get rid of, rid of box elder bugs inside the home? How about a shop vac? It's
5: called a shop vac. Yeah, it's yeah. called a vacuum cleaner, yeah. Actually, that's true. That's the recommendation is to just get a, a like a shop, you know, a vacuum cleaner with a hose on it and just vacuum them up and then, and empty them out in the garbage.
3: Another one uh, says uh, lawn question, if i dormant seed now then I cannot put down a pre-emergent for crabgrass, right?
4: Yes, that is a great question. Uh, generally speaking, that is the case. Uh, there's a, mo- there's a couple of different active ingredients that can work, but the majority of crabgrass preventers uh, would have some kind of inhibition or would prevent or have some kind of negative effect on the grass seed that you're trying to get to germinate. So the best strategy there if you've already dormant seeded, is just to wait until uh, the seedlings that that you've uh, planted have emerged and you've mowed them a couple of times, and then go out and use some kind of post-emergent control if you see uh, crabgrass and uh, other summer annual grassy weeds.
3: Okay. This listener says, how can I promote moss in a Japanese-style garden?
5: You can. Well, I've never done this, but this is what I understand is you you collect living moss, and you can kind of crumble it up and put it on some soil that's moistened and keep it moist and keep it shaded, and that way you can propagate your moss.
3: All right. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, I know we need to break, uh, take a break for the uh, forecast, the warm forecast. Let's let's do this. Let's grab a phone call first, and then we'll get the weather. Ken calling in from Chanhassen. Ken, what is your question?
0: Yes, Good morning. I have a few patches of yellow nuts hedge in my, my yard. I was thinking in a few weeks when it gets warmer, I'd just take a spade and, and cut them out and then just lay down some sod where they were. If that'd be a good way, or if it'd be an easier way to eradicate that, that yellow nuts hedge before it spreads further. Like I say, it's just patches here and there are two feet or so in diameter. So that once sod is available, just try that or rather than try to spray them and kill them and then reseed or, you know, I, I don't know what to do. So I... Why
4: I'm well you can try to manually remove the nut sedge so sedges have a triangular stem uh, so um, just to make sure that you're identifying it correctly it's a it looks like a grass It has a very waxy leaf surface uh, sometimes they can form patches sometimes they're just in individual plants but you can manually pull them but they do repre- reproduce by little nutlets in the ground uh, and sometimes that's very difficult to remove. And, you know, if you can do this year over year, trying to manually remove them, digging them out can sometimes work, but the nutlets are, are problematic. And so, uh, you know, if they're a really bad infestation, uh, you know, I, there are herbicides that can, uh, selectively control the nutsedge. Uh, those are called sulfonyl urea herbicides. Uh, and those would translocate, kill the nutlets, and then, uh, and then it's a it's a faster way to control those. But otherwise, that manual removal can work. It's just understand you're probably going to be battling that for at least a couple of years. All
3: right. We need to take a break for weather. If you're just joining us, Julie Weizenorn and John Trappi from the U of M answering those lawn and garden questions this morning at six five one four six one nine two two six. Julie and John, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about uh, that uh, website. We always love that extension right. website. Lots of good information there. We'll. Uh, Julian and John, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about uh, that uh, website. We always love that extension right. website. Lots of good information there. We'll do that. Pick up on more texts and calls here on News Talk 830. WCCO. Stay with us. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday on CCO in the 8 o'clock hour. Welcoming by phone and by text your lawn and garden questions this morning for Julie Weizenhorn and John Trappi from the University of Minnesota. Well, we have uh, some of both, calls and texts. But before we get to those, I know we always like, and for good reason, like to mention that University of Minnesota Extension website, extension.umn.edu. For example, Julie, what can we find there?
5: So uh, I just want to call out to uh, our listeners because this is the time of year people are thinking about pruning shrubs uh, such as hydrangea and uh, dogwood. And we have some great videos on how to do this. So uh, we have a, a video particularly about pruning the three different kinds of hydrangeas that we grow. This is the panicle hydrangea, the smooth hydrangea. And the big leaf hydrangea, and so if you have those plants and you're wondering how do I prune them, when do I prune them, what kind do I have, you can take a look at that video. Uh, it's on our trees and shrubs webpage on extension.umn.edu. In that same on that same page, you're also going to find a brand new shrubs uh, pruning video. It's the first in a series that we're producing, and it talks about and demonstrates. Uh, pruning things like dogwood and viburnum and a couple of the other early uh, kind of the winter pruning that we do. And we're going to be releasing two more in the next couple months. So we're trying to time it with with the kind of pruning that people are going to be doing at that time. So take a look at that. Of course, there's a ton of other information uh, on all different kinds of plants, from houseplants to our lawns, to also some of our native plants as well. So that's extension.umn.edu. And if you don't get your questions answered, you can always go to Ask Extension and Ask a Master Gardener, put in your questions, email it to them. And then you can also attach about up to three photos and a Master Gardener will get back to you within about 24 hours with some either more questions or a potential, or an answer for you, some options.
3: Now that is service, wow.
5: Yeah, I should say. <laughs> uh,
3: we yeah, we'll, we'll we'll mention that, of course. Like we always like to do before the show uh, ends today. In the meantime, you could call us or text us six five one four six one nine two two six. This texter says this: We collected some hollyhock seeds last fall. What's the best way to get the seeds started?
5: I think hollyhock seeds need to be soaked. Well. They need to be scarified, I think, which means that they need to be the the outer part of them needs to crack the seed coat, and so you can do that. Usually, they would just drop off of the hollyhock plants, and then they'd go through winter, and um, the the changes in temperature would eventually crack those seed coats. But you can do that by taking a a file and filing them, or uh, or just take a little like an X-Acto knife or a razor blade and just nick them. And then put them out in the, plant them in the ground.
3: There's a text from a tree pollen sufferer. Do you think trees are <laughs> pollinating already?
5: Oh boy, I don't know, John. Do you any thoughts on that? I don't think so. Yeah,
4: I, I'm I not think? sure. I know, I know some people who are sensitive to to you know uh, plant allergies, and they've been complaining. So maybe there are some, but I, you know, I'm not familiar with any with off the top of my head.
3: Okay. This uh, listener had an infestation of Japanese beetles in the yard in Aiken County last summer. Uh, They are the birch leaves down to lace. We did cultivate the soil last fall and leveled and planted grass. Not sure if it will be effective. Is there something we should treat the yard with to minimize or kill the beetles?
4: Well, Japanese beetles, you know, are what cause, uh, they're one of the species that are the adults for white grubs. Uh, white grubs are the larvae for several different beetle species and Japanese beetles are among them. Um, now, there are there, there isn't a whole lot of data to say that by controlling white grubs that you're gonna see less Japanese beetles on your ornamentals as adults. Uh, but uh, the white grub treatments themselves can be very effective if you're seeing white grub damage in your lawn. And with that said, I would wait uh, until treating until you know that they 're an issue in your lawn uh, it's unfortunately it's they are one of those things that once you start getting them, you tend to get them year over year uh, but um, but you 'll notice the white grub damage uh, typically it 's going to be right when the the plants themselves start to get stressed uh, you'll see you'll notice some areas that look like they're drought stressed and they don 't respond to to watering or to a rainfall event, and they just basically look like they never really respond to any extra moisture. Uh, You can also dig down and and find the white grubs themselves to see if they are an issue, but uh, in the meantime, I I wouldn't uh, really worry about treating until you see uh, exact damage in that moment, and then you can use like a curative treatment uh, if the damage is extreme. from the white grubs Uh, and of course you can treat your ornamentals if you are uh, seeing some adult damage uh, from the Japanese beetles uh, on your ornamentals Uh, but in the meantime I would I would hold off on treating just uh, just because you found some okay yeah
5: just because you have Japanese beetles does not mean you necessarily have grubs because those Japanese beetles are strong flyers and they will move across different landscapes and so it does just because you see them in your yard doesn't mean you have them in your lawn
3: no interesting well said this listener has an English ivy houseplant that is losing many leaves. It's in indirect sunlight. I fertilize once a month. The stems are very thin and brittle. Uh, any Man, ideas? Sounds
5: like, sounds like it may be. Uh, it's, they're notorious for spider mites, English ivy. So uh the signs of spider mites are webbing, really fine webbing. If you spray, if you mist the plant with a little water and hold it up in the light, you can see the fine fine webbing. If you see little uh it's um what is it called? It's it's there it's tiny little dots from I think it's called spittling. <laughs> but it's from the sucking insect, the spider mites uh, inserting uh They're basically the proboscis from their mouth into the leaves and sucking out the juices of the leaves. So they leave this little tiny dot of damage, and you'll see that in the leaves. They'll look a little pale, a little yellow, and then you you can look really closely. You can use a lens to look if you have to. But those are two ways of checking that out. Uh, They can really damage these plants, and then the spider mites can also spread to your other plants too. They're very mobile. So you want to isolate that plant until you figure out what's going on with it. If you've been over fertilizing it, that in other words, using fertilizer that may be too strong. I think did I just get disconnected?
1: Uh, am I there I can again? hear you. We're am all am together. Back? Okay. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, I just went quiet for a minute. Um, but if you see that. Uh, if you also, you, if you're over-fertilizing it, it can be actually burning the roots of the plant. And then once those roots are gone, the plant can't take up any nutrition or any water. So then they would start to die and wilt and, and turn brown like you're seeing. So it's a couple different options there for you to check out.
3: Okay. This uh, listener texts in, uh, I have tons of prickly ash to get out of my woods. Do I have to treat the stumps like buckthorn?
5: Yes. I think that would be a good idea. And so you want to cut it and you want to treat it. You can dab a, a, a brush, a killer, around the edges. That's the living tissue of the stump. And you may have to do it again, but you can do that. If you have small, small enough plants, you may also just be able to pull them out as well.
3: All right. Let's grab a phone call. I think Lynn is checking in from uh, Coon Rapids this morning. Uh, Lynn, thank you. What is your question?
5: Hi, I have one about my lawn I need to overseed, and I was looking at them. There's a lot of different kinds. I know there's been a lot of talk of using fine fescue, but when they overlap, I have dappled sunshine, I have sandy area in that same place, and I wasn't sure which one I wanted to get. Any thoughts?
4: Great question. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, the fine fescues, based on your description, would work really well. Uh, so, they're the most shade tolerant turfgrass species uh, that we have growing in Minnesota, um, and they are uh, fairly drought tolerant. So, they would tolerate that sandy soil that maybe dries out a little bit faster than uh, some of the other mineral soils that we have in Minnesota. So, uh, the fine fescues would work really well, and, and right now a great time. I would, I would try to time if you are going to overseed. Uh, maybe try to time it right before a rainfall event. Uh, you know, if we get lucky next uh, next weekend uh, or later this week, I think that would be a great time to try to do that.
3: All right. Uh, Texter wants to know, is uh, now a good time to prune grapevines?
5: Yes. Actually, I think uh, this would be a great time to prune your grapevines. And you want to take a look at our grape webpage under our fruit section on extension.umn.edu. There are some diagrams, a couple different options for pruning your grapevines. So be sure to take a look at that.
3: Yes, great website extension.umn.edu. Let's do this. A quick break is in order. We'll come back on the other side and answer more lawn and garden questions here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show, Danny Long here, along with Julie Weisenhorn and John Trappi from the U of M. You know, Julie and John, what we haven't mentioned, we always like to, and we had a nice call about the Arboretum earlier mm-hmm. in the show. Uh, what a great, you talk about a resource, but what a great place to visit. And I say it and mean it any time of the year, but this is right. a great one.
5: Yeah, so we have, of course, there's, there's already bulbs coming up, like snowdrops, which are cute tiny little ball that everybody should have in the yard it's so awesome uh and then we have the spring flower show which is indoors and that's going on through march 10th and the sap is already flowing at the arboretum our uh maple syrupers there uh richard devores is one of the leaders of that group he, it, they've been tapping the trees what john for like i don't know three weeks already i think
3: yeah
4: i think that's right
5: and uh, and Maple Fest is coming up from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday, March 23rd, so right around the corner. And people should uh, come out for that. There's maple syrup. I, I think there's pancakes. I don't know. So it uh, it sounds great. And if you are a runner, we have the 26th annual Bud Break coming up on Sunday, May 5th, and tickets are going to be on sale, uh, and you can register by April 12th. So a little ways out there, but it does fill up, so be sure to do that. As always, you need to get a ticket to come to the Arboretum. If you're a member, it's no charge. If you're not a member, you may as well become one because it's a a real crown jewel of Minnesota. It's one of the best Arboretum rated in the country. And uh, there's more than just even the activities. There's classes. Of course, there's our beautiful 1,200-acre grounds and a lot of opportunities for for families and uh, for date night and uh, a lot of other things that people can do uh, to enjoy nature together.
3: And if somebody says, where the heck is it located, how would you direct them? <laughs>
5: I would direct them to go west on uh, Highway 5 out of the Twin Cities and just past the intersection of uh, County Road 41. It's technically in Chaska, and the turn into the Arboretum is just to the left after you cross 41.
3: Yeah, very easy to get to, very easy drive. Yeah, check it out, the Landscape Arboretum. All right, we have uh, textures we probably won't get to. Uh, before the uh, end of the show, and I apologize for that. But let's see how many folks we can help. John, here's one. Uh, Texture says, if I want to try leveling my lawn, what mix should I use? Sand, black dirt, and should I do that in the spring?
4: You want to try to use a soil type that's as close to what you have as possible Uh, because if you use something that is uh, too fine, uh, you could end up getting some kind of layering effect. Generally, you can't go wrong with sand, but, uh, but the best case scenario is using something that's as close to what you have as possible.
3: We had a, a text earlier about somebody who suffers from tree pollen, uh, but we heard from a uh, certified arborist just a bit ago mm-hmm. uh, telling us trees are not pollinating yet. But okay. I mentioned a couple that are starting to elongate, so there will be tree pollen soon, <laughs> but as uh, now from the expert says, not not quite yet. Is it too early, Texter wants to know, to remove my rose cones?
5: I, boy, I, I think you probably could. Uh, I don't think it's going to hurt them to stay on there a little bit longer, maybe to get through the next couple of weeks, because we are going to be into the 20s at night. So maybe just wait Maybe wait till around April 1st. We'll see what the weather's like then. It could be completely different. I don't know, but I think okay. I'd kind of hold off on that.
3: This listener said, I picked up some very old bags of lawn grub control at a garage sale. Do you think they should be okay to use, and is it okay to put them on in early spring?
4: Uh, that is a great question. Um, I would think... You know, you can actually look at the pesticide label on those bags to see if they, uh, to see what date they were, uh, you know, what, when they were actually manufactured. Uh, I would be a little bit hesitant about uh, using something that's, uh, you know, past several years old. The consistency in how spreadable it is is going to be the most important aspect. Um, if they are all clumped up and they've gotten a lot of moisture in them, uh, there are municipal uh, drop-off sites for uh, hazardous materials, so you could look that up for your local municipality. Um, you know, I know that uh, certainly around the Twin Cities there are several uh, where you could drop something like that off. Uh, but the quick question, you know, just to refer about the crabgrass preventer, uh, you know, we're a little bit early on applying crabgrass pre-emergent right now, um, and the reason being is just if you were to apply it right now, sure you would get some control, but you would eventually have Breakthrough and some summer annuals like crabgrass starting to germinate in June, for example. So I would wait just a little bit longer until we get a little bit closer to uh, soil temperatures approaching the mid 40s. All right, John.
5: John, I'm glad you mentioned the hazardous waste drop off because now this is the time of year we start cleaning out our garages, and you sometimes have things like old paint, you have old pesticides, you just don't know what to do with them. So that's a great a resource for getting them out of the landfills out of the system uh, you don't want to throw them in the garbage uh, but bring them up to a hazardous waste disposal area
3: good idea good idea uh, this uh, listener had tons of thistle problems last year in all their landscaped areas considering the warmer temperatures when should a pre-emergent be broadcast to prevent them from emerging this year
4: well, um, you know, that's very similar to the crabgrass. Um, you, you know, any kind of pre-emergent, most plant species are not germinating and emerging until soil temperatures get at least into the mid-40s. Uh, um, so uh, with that, you know, you know, we're still several weeks away from that, but most thistles are perennials or biennials, uh, meaning that they do not, you know, that they're, they live in the ground over at least one growing season. So, um, you know, uh, trying to use a pre-emergent to control uh, thistles is, can be a little bit problematic. I would focus on post-emergent control. And if they are in your lawn, for example, a dense, healthy turf is the best defense against weeds uh, to make sure that they don't come into that area in the future.
3: Okay. This uh, Listen, let's see, do we have time? Yes, we have time for one or two more. Uh, I have a tree leaning about 20 degrees, listener says, four inches in diameter. Can I dig this up and straighten it? A, a master gardener said, leave it a couple of years uh, ago, but it is getting worse. Do you think I should straighten it or cut it down?
5: Well, it depends what kind of tree it is and how how old it is. If it's got a girth of you know I don't know or a diameter of about a few inches I'm looking at my hands right now you're not going to be able to straighten it out if it's a young tree that you just planted and it's still flexible you could stake it and uh, and and get it to straighten out it will grow then straighter but you know if it's been in the ground for a few years it's pretty much established that way it's probably leaning for a couple reasons one could be the direction of the wind that comes through your property. The other could be that it's slightly in a shady spot and it's reaching out for light. So you may be able to, uh, if, you, if you decide you just don't like it, you can take it out, but put a new one in where it can really get full sun and maybe think about where the winds are, are coming through. We have uh, primarily northwesterly winds. They come from, down 94 from the northwest. And so think about where you're putting your plants and if that's going to be an issue.
3: Julie and John, a minute to go. Maybe, John, uh, give us some advice uh, about our lawns as we head out of here. What should or shouldn't we do at this point?
4: Biggest thing is be patient. So, uh, you know, <laughs> things aren't really growing, and, I, you know, despite the air temperatures getting warmer, you know, the soil temperature, which drives everything, is not quite there yet. I think we probably have, even, even with these warmer temps uh, this weekend, you know, we probably have another couple of weeks before. Things are really starting to to get up and go. So the the bigger thing is just be patient. Try not to overdo it, uh, and you know extend uh, you know damage going into the summer. Uh, we don't we want to avoid that as much as possible.
3: Excellent, Julie. Uh, in twenty seconds, head to the Arboretum right, and get on the yes. university website.
5: Definitely arb.umn.edu. You need tickets to get there, so be sure to go on there and get those. And then if you didn't get your question answered, you can always reach out to Master Gardeners at extension.umn.edu slash yard and garden.
3: Excellent. Thank you both, Julie and John. Always a pleasure. We'll do this again as we, uh, as, as we, well, as I say, as things start to warm up, they already have. It's too late. But uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much.
5: Great. Thanks, Denny.
3: You bet. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, Julie Weisenhorn, John Trappy from the University of Minnesota. Uh, yes, speaking of warmth, uh, Andy Lindis will be joining us next hour with our home improvement show. So, if any kind of a home improvement question you may have, by all means, you can call us or text us next hour in the nine o'clock hour here on CCO. What do we expect today? Mostly sunny skies, highs near 65. Tomorrow, we could get up to near 72. Stay with us here on 830 WCCO.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,